the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando. Engineering-wise, well, once again, it's our uh, dear friend who does it every time. And uh, and then Andrew Herdliska produces the show. And so we will start with Esther Fleece, who's the founder and CEO of LNL Consulting, author of No More Faking Fine. Uh, how you doing, Esther? Thanks for joining me. Oh, you bet. It's great to be with you, Pat. I was just in Orlando. I just got back from Orlando. I love that part of the country. And and what brought you here? You know, I was actually uh, speaking at a church there called Discovery Church. I was out spending time with their women and their college students. They have a pretty large 20 and 30-somethings group and got to spend time with them. It was great. Good. And you had good weather? Well, you know, anytime I'm in Florida in February, it's pretty good. So, yeah, it was fantastic. That's <laughs> Hard <great>. to leave. <laughs> Your new book, No More Faking Fine... Uh, Zondervan is the publisher. Uh, what does that title mean? You know, I think all of us, when we're asked how we're doing it, we just say the easy thing that it's fine. And I think especially when we go through trials, it's, it's a lot easier to say fine. We don't want to get into the nitty-gritty. We don't want to burden people with our problems. But, you know, when we say fine, we're really selling ourselves short. We're not going deeper in relationship with one another. And I found when I when I started saying, find everyone around me, I ended up doing that to God as well. And everything was just fine. I didn't want to bother him with my problems, uh, when really that's what he's there for. So I'm trying to challenge the whole fine culture to say, maybe this is an F word we don't want to be saying anymore. <laughs> Chapter one is called, God Wants Our Sad. Uh, what does that mean? Yeah, I think we think oftentimes that God wants our strength. He wants us to do good works. You know, he wants us to accomplish things for him. But, you know, really, when you look at examples of people who have gone before us, and namely in the scriptures, you actually find that God is deeply attracted to people in the midst of their brokenness. That God actually wants our our weariness, our heavy burdens. He wants our stresses. He wants us to give um, him our anxiety. And so those things that we almost hold back from God, that's actually what he invites us to give to him. He, he, he wants our happy, sure, but he absolutely wants our sad as well. And now I want you to talk about the next topic, about letting go of our coping mechanisms. Uh, what are they? Sure. Well, Pat, you know, I, I start the book by sharing a story where I was a witness on um, a felony case that involved my, my biological father, actually, and it was just a traumatic time. And um, during that case, I broke down and cried on the witness stand. I was a 10-year-old girl. So the judge looked at me and he said, suck it up. You need to suck it up. You need to finish the line of questioning here. And, you know, certainly, Pat, I had done nothing wrong to deserve treatment like that. But that's what I thought, you know, that's how I thought I was supposed to deal with grief. That's how I thought adults were supposed to do handle emotions, that you weren't supposed to let people see you cry, that you were supposed to be strong, that you're supposed to suck it up. It took me 20 years to realize that that wasn't a healthy way to live. And so, you know, the next chapter, we kind of outline coping mechanisms that maybe we've lived out of. Maybe they're our normal. Maybe they're our go-to. Maybe it's what we're teaching our children, but it might not be the healthy way to live. Next topic for uh, Miss Esther here. Esther Fleece is our guest. The first lament, what is that? You know, I think every single one of us laments, and so I'm, I'm introducing, you know, one of the very earliest stories with uh, Cain and Abel, their brothers that are in the Bible, and they one of them murders the other brother, and, you know, we are, we're invited into the details of this story, and it says that Abel's blood cried out to God, and what's so fascinating to me, Pat, is that many times 
when we don't see justice here, we get very upset. We get very impatient. But what that tells me is that God listens to even blood that is crying out to him. Even when we don't see justice happening here on earth, God hears those laments. And so I'm trying to cast the, the vision for the reader that lamenting is something that's been around from the beginning of time, and it's something that God cares very deeply about. Now, let's move to this topic, Esther. A surprising path to healing. What is it? Yeah, well, you know, the first four chapters, I kind of outline a lot of my messes, a lot of my abandonment and abuse and uh, the, the difficulties that I lived through. And this chapter, I'm, I'm trying to invite the reader into when my coping mechanisms no longer worked for me, when sucking it up no longer worked, when performance became exhausting, I found that lament, this language of grief, a cry of your heart, is actually the path that led me towards healing. And it was letting those cries out of my heart. It was the very thing I was trying not to do that was the path for my healing. And that leads us to permission to lament. What's that all about? I think we have to give ourselves permission to lament. It's so foreign in our culture, especially here in America. We want everything to be fine and everything to be good, and we want to be positive. And, you know, there's, there's a detriment, like I said, when we are just faking fine. We're keeping relationships shallow. You know, women can have fun groups, and we go get our nails done, and we go to lunch, and we go get our hair done together. And really, your deep friendships are with the people that you've gone to the depths with. You've invited them into your trial. They've persevered with you through difficulties in marriage. We've got to give ourselves permission to lament and give people in our communities permission to lament in order for us to reach I think not only healing, but authentic and deep relationships. Esther, I want you to explain to us, as we move along in your new book, uh, a new way to pray. Uh, Give us an overview on a new way to pray. What what have you discovered? And then we'll talk about the details. Yeah, sure. You know, Pat, I, I didn't have parents that I could go to and let my honest cries out. You know, when I had a bad day at school, I didn't go home and tell people about it. I kept it inside, and I tried to figure out how I could make the next day better. And so really for a lot of us, we have to retrain ourselves of how to lament uh, because we we don't know that. A lot of marriages that we don't even let each other know our our grief and our insecurities and disappointments. And so this second section is, is challenging the reader, how do we pray in this way? But, you know, there's a difference between lament and complaint, and what is that? And if it is different, how do we become good lamenters while not becoming good complainers? You know, the goal of the book isn't to become a complainer, it's to become a good lamenter. And so I'm trying to help the reader with practical steps of how we can do that. Now let's get to uh, a, a few details here. You, you open that segment, Esther, with a question, a one-word question about a new way to pray, just simply, why? And, uh-huh. and what's the answer? Well, you know, Pat, when I was just in Orlando at this church, um, I, w- I was actually speaking on the su- subject and why it's okay to ask God why. Why we can say, why did this happen? Why did so-and-so die? Well, you know, why why has this happened in my life? Or why did this evil happen? A, a lot of times in church settings, we silence those cries, we silence those questions, because um, a lot of times we've been taught that that's not the religious thing to do. And this woman stood up and with tears said, you know, my, both my parents died within six months of each other, and all I could do was ask God why, and I was told to stop questioning God. You know, this chapter right away gets into the nitty-gritty, and I, I give an example of how I went to Auschwitz, a former concentration mm. camp, and the only thing that I could say is why. Why did this happen? God, how could this happen? Where were you, God? Were you unmoved from this happening? I was letting these lamenting cries come out. And God was not only receiving that as a prayer, but he wanted to answer me. And so this is permission for people to ask God why. I think we see it modeled in Scripture that God does not turn away from these prayers, that he is more than willing to meet us when we give him the cries of our heart. And then the next topic under a new way to pray is how long? Sure. You know, I think, again, we see this pattern in Scripture. You know, David... King David was anointed to be king, but he had to wait over a decade before he became king. Uh, the Israelites, you know, they were enslaved for 40 years. 
Uh, the book of Jeremiah, where it says God has plans to prosper us. He's speaking to captives who were in captivity for 70 years. We see a lot of people having to wait long periods of time for good things to happen, for deliverance, or for a rescue. So it is more than okay to ask God, how long? How long am I going to be in this season? How long am I going to be in this distress? How long will I be angry? And it's how do we take our how long prayers to God? My guest is Esther Fleece, and we've got more with Esther talking about her book, No More Faking Fine. But first, we've got these messages here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Hey, I'm Brant. So there's this family, Jeremy and Sharon, and a couple kids, and they're all very healthy, and they did something to save money. They switched from health insurance to MediShare, and then they had a third baby, a little girl named Anya, and she was very sick. We've had a lot of hospital visits. A whole week in a children's hospital, CAT scans and blood tests and chemical tests, and I think we saw a dozen doctors. It was all shared. The bills were shared by the other members of MediShare. That's how this works. So get this, they save hundreds a month. They don't have to deal with health insurance companies or government health care plans. And they get to be part of a community that cares. MediShare has always been there for us and helped meet the needs that we have as a family. It's no wonder this is growing so fast. It is worth looking into. Here's how. Call 844-41-BIBLE. Now, it's available everywhere but Montana. 844-41-BIBLE. This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your host, Dr. Daniel Forbes and attorney Delta Chen. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Business owners and managers, do you strive to do business in a faithful and ethical manner? The Mockler Center for Faith and Ethics in the Workplace invites you to join Dr. Peter Heslam of the University of Oxford for a dinner event at the Citrus Club, downtown Orlando, Thursday, March 9th. Dr. Heslam will speak about freedom, faith, and flourishing in business. Don't miss this evening of food, fellowship, and commemorating 500 years of the Reformation. RSVP today online at gordonconwell.edu slash Orlando Mockler Dinner. Presented by Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary of Jacksonville. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. We're back with Esther Fleece. We're back with Alan Dempsey, who is our key engineer uh, every weekend here for us. And Esther, we have moved along on this whole topic of a new way to pray. And uh, here's the next topic. Don't forget me with an exclamation point. Uh, What do you write about here? You know, how many of us have felt forgotten by God? (laughs) I just think, you know, I mean, you're familiar with basketball, too, and sometimes if somebody doesn't have a good year, that player might feel like they're forgotten. You know, they're not talked about in sports center. They're not the topic of conversation. A lot of people can find their identity when they're not talked about. And I think that we have to talk about the pain that it feels when we feel forgotten by God. Maybe our circumstances are hard. Maybe we've lost a, lost, lost a loved one. But that cry in our hearts, that don't forget me, God, prayer is a prayer that many people are uttering in our churches. And I want to give people permission to not only say, don't forget me, God, but to find God in the midst of feeling forgotten. And there's a final topic here on a new way to pray. Forgive me. Yeah, this, this is a hard chapter for me to write because I think, you know, when you look at what had happened to me as a child and um, seeing what I saw and going through what I went through, I mean, a lot of people would say that I'm justified to just be angry and not only turn my back on God, but certainly be upset with my biological parents forever. And um, I'm just trying to invite the reader into how forgiveness is such a hard process. You know, I had read every single book possible. I listened to sermons. I tried just being a good Christian, and I didn't 
understand forgiveness. It really wasn't until I lamented that. It wasn't until I really grieved my losses and I considered the weight of them and I stopped minimizing that I was able to um, not just find forgiveness, um, but kind of move forward. And, and that's the hope I want to give the reader too, is that when we lament, we're not going to stay stuck in a lament. We're not going to stay stuck in our grief. That's not the final destination. And I think forgiveness is, is a big process of helping us get out of that and breaking the cycle. Esther, there are three parts to your book, and we've arrived at the third part. It's called To Sing Again, and it's about lamenting together and hope beyond lament. Uh, I want you to fill us in in detail on what you're writing there and why that's so important. Sure. Well, you know, Pat, once I started incorporating this new language of lament in my prayer times and in my community, I realized that God just loved me too much to let me lament alone. You know, as, as I was writing the book, I was um, I was single. I was in my early 30s. Um, and so, you know, I didn't have the traditional family setting that many people would say, oh, you just go talk to your husband, just go talk to your family. I, I really was orphaned at a young age. And so as I was learning to lament to God, he loved me too much to let me lament alone. And this chapter is talking about God does not want us to live in isolation. He doesn't want our grief to be in isolation. He has designed community and the church and families to be a safe place for us to lament. So this, this chapter is a challenging one. A lot of readers are getting back to me saying they don't like this. You know, they want to be able to pray to God and let God know their questions and their hurts, but it's really hard to let those out loud. And uh, this is kind of a chapter challenging that of, yes, we can lament for a period of time uh, alone. Jesus modeled that. He went to lonely places and prayed. However, there is a call to live in community and to not live alone and to not lament alone. And that's the very first chapter in Lamenting Together that I talk about. How do we go of, how do you teach lamenting? How do, you, how, do you, how do you go about doing it? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's that second section that we talked about. It's letting those cries out. So it's, it's, it's permission to pray things out loud that you normally don't want other people to hear. <laughs> you know, you don't want people to hear your doubts and your questions and your grief, but it's permission to let those out of your heart, that there's going to be a freedom when you get those out of your heart. So um, how do you teach it? I mean, there isn't like a formula, really. Every lament's going to look different. Uh, a widow is going to have a different lament than a mom who's saying goodbye to her kids going off to college. But there's going to be laments there. You know, there's going to be grief there. And it's kind of normalizing that to say you're not a bad person if you're experiencing these hurtful emotions. Uh, you know, a lot of us have bought into this theology, this notion that we're all supposed to be happy and we're all supposed to be chasing success. I think we're supposed to be chasing faithfulness. And the most faithful people will, will encounter difficulty. The most faithful people will face abandonment. And so lament is this language that we talk about when life is not going our way anymore. My guest is Esther Fleece. And uh, she's written a book called No More Faking Fine. Um, you're encouraging people to contribute their own No More Faking Fine stories. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the stories you've collected so far and uh, what, what you're hearing? What's the sense here? You bet. You bet. Well, you know, just considering your background, Pat, you know, I have a, a good friend that um, he was in the NHL for about 10 years and then didn't get re-signed and it was, you know, pretty identity shaking. And, you know, he wrote his own no more faking fine story of his journey to realize that his identity isn't in his career or in his performance. Uh, but that that was a difficult time. Um, and just goodness by him saying this was difficult. You wouldn't believe how many other men opened up about, gosh, I'm having difficulties in my career change too. And in my career transition, and because he had the courage to say, I'm not fine and this is hard, it gave other people to, to permission to not be okay. It's just permission to not be okay, you know. So there are stories um, from all different types of people, certainly a woman who uh, faced cancer um, and, and how she had the courage to keep going even when, um, the, you know, the, the updates and the treatments weren't working. Uh, my friend Nabil Qureshi is actually in Houston right now. He's in his 30s, and he's fighting stomach cancer. And he's scared. He's a one-year-old daughter, and he doesn't, he, he doesn't want um, 
death to be the end of his story. And he's letting people into the difficulty. And, and there's so much strength that other people are finding. You know, I find that um, when we share weaknesses, it invites relationship. When we pretend to have it all together, people aren't attracted to that. And that's not where we're, where relationship is birthed. So there's, there's a lot of great testimonies on estherfleece.com and, and there's no more faking fine stories of other people, not just me, which is what excites me. Who did you write this book for? I love that question. And it's not an easy, not an easy answer. You know, I certainly, um, <clears throat> I certainly want this book to be read by people who don't have a faith. And I, I hope that it introduces them to, um, a God who actually, you know, not only hears their cry, but bottles their tears when they cry. I do believe that, um, that, that God cares about people and their pain. So that's one person. The other person I wrote it to is somebody that has never given themselves permission to lament. They just think they have to be strong all the time. Um, and then another person I wrote it to is people that say that they're church-going people because um, I don't know how, but we've gotten this reputation of being a pretty plastic, surfacey society. And we are the people that should be going out and listening to people lamenting and helping lamenters sing again. So it's a challenge to people who say that they're people of faith, uh, that we don't chase the success as the world has defined, but we actually run after hurting people and invite them into our communities. Do you think everybody out there is hurting in some way? I do, Pat. I really do. And, um, and you know what? If we're not hurting right now, I guarantee that hurts on the way. <laughs> and so I hope that this is a resource that encourages people that when you're hurting, it doesn't have to be the end of your story that not only are, are there good things to be found in seasons of heartache, but heartache is not the end of your story. Why do you think we don't hear more about lament in the church? Not many sermons on that topic, right? I know, you're right. There isn't. And, you know, you look at almost every book in the Bible. I don't know one book that doesn't have lament in it. I don't know one people, one person in in the Bible that didn't lament. It is, it is God shows us this example of hurting people um, from the Old Testament to the New Testament to Jesus himself. Jesus lamented. Jesus asked, is there any other way, God? Um, and so, of course, we're going to be asking those questions. You know, Jeremiah, who, who wrote um, several books in the Bible, he was known as a weeping prophet. I don't know of very many uh, pastors nowadays that are known as weeping pastors. Mm. But we have got to bring this language back, Pat, because um, it's a, it is a key language for us as, as we are in this life. We are warned that it's going to be hard. This life is going to uh, bring trouble our way. And God has given us a language to relate to Him in it. And so I sure hope that the church brings this language back because it's all over the Bible. <laughs> it should be a language in our vocabulary. How important are your friendships to you, Esther, uh, in this whole realm that you're writing about? You know, I think my friends uh, pulled me out of the pit when I didn't think I could get out myself. I mean, I, like I said, Pat, I had just tried everything. I had worked my way, you know, I tried working my way to healing. I tried forgetting about my past. I tried so many coping mechanisms. And Pat, you know what? I needed friends to come alongside of me and to have faith for me when I was faithless. And to say, God's not done with you, Esther. God has a plan for you, Esther. God, you know, sees you. When I felt like he didn't see me, I needed to let other people into my distress so that they could be instruments to bring me out. And you know what's interesting, Pat, is that people wounded me. People hurt me. But people were also used to usher me into healing. And I think that's a testimony for all of us. So as we come towards the end, Esther... What do you want our listeners to do here? Uh, what what direction do you give them here? Well, you know, certainly they can go to my website, estherfleece.com, and they can hopefully be encouraged by some of the stories that are on that website. But, you know, I do want them to get the book, and I'm not making money, you know, by them buying the book. I have a great publisher in Zondervan. Um, but I do want them to get the book, and I want them to read it in community even. You know, there was a great book club I just went to last night of people who are reading this book and talking about how, this is going to change them. I think so many of us, we want to go change the world and we want to go help other people. We can get lost in that. God wants us to self-reflect and to say, 
where are our hearts at? Where is our walk with God? What areas are we keeping God out? Um, And I hope that this book is an invitation that God cares about your listener, wherever they're at, whether they're on the mountaintop or wherever they're in the desert. God cares to hear their prayer. God cares to hear their cry. And I hope that this book is an encouragement that he's there. Tell me what a, a typical day is like for you, Esther. Uh, what 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 goes on? Sure. Well, you know, right now, just because the book came out, I am um, busy writing articles and doing interviews like this one and, and having speaking opportunities where I can encourage people. I think this is such a foreign message. It's taking time. It's challenging people. There's a lot of questions that that are coming as a result of this message to lament. And I'm, I'm seen as a pretty happy person, Pat. You know, I'm actually a pretty joyful person. So it's catching people off guard that I wrote a book about lament. So a lot of my day-to-day right now is, is on the book tour. Um, you know, previous to that, I do have a company that helps nonprofits, um, you know, with just transitioning, reaching the next generation, communications and marketing. And I certainly have a sports background, which you know a little bit about, but I'm, I'm very involved with them, helping coordinate NFL chapels um, and just seeing that, that professional athletes and their families don't have to pretend, don't have to fake it, um, and that they can be real themselves, that they can find authentic community. So those are some of the things that I'm passionate about. Is there another book in your pipeline? You know, I sure hope so. I sure hope so. Zondervan's been a great partner, and I would do it with them if I did another book. Um, but, you know, you've, you've written books, too. It's kind of a make it or break it on your first book. You've got to do well. You've got to sell. Yes. And um, so all my efforts are going to this one right now. And I would love to write in the future. I sure hope it is in the future, but we'll see. What do you like to read, Esther? Yeah, I would say read mostly nonfiction. I think um, I'm, I'm one of those people that really likes to learn when I'm reading something. I um, went to Oxford uh, last summer and did a business program there, a business and theology program. And really enjoyed reading some C.S. Lewis and Alistair McGrath, just John Lennox, some great theologians, Ravi Zacharias. I like to learn when I read. So you'll find me reading commentaries quite often, which is pretty comical. Um, but, yeah, I would say I, I would say that's interesting because I do like reading in the genre that I'm writing in, which would be considered nonfiction. Well, Esther, great to talk to you. Congrats on your book. Thank and I'm, you. I'm glad we could hook support. up here. Absolutely. Thanks for your time today, Pat. Esther Fleece, founder and CEO of L&L Consulting. Uh, We've been talking about her new book, No More Faking Fine. Uh, We've got another segment right after this, folks, on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, This is 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando, Florida. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Are you in pain after a recent fall or car accident? Hi, this is Dr. Esther Pichardo. If you're in pain right now, dial pound 250 on your mobile device and say, I'm in pain. That will connect you to advanced physical medicine. After a car accident, your work, the insurance, the loss of your car, everything is a concern and your life changes in a matter of seconds. Material things can be replaced, but your health cannot be. If you're in pain right now, dial pound 250 on your mobile device and say, I'm in pain. Even if the pain is not severe in the first few days after an accident, studies show that physical injuries can get worse with time. If you had an accident and you're still in pain, dial pound 250 on your mobile device and say, I'm in pain. That will connect you to Advanced Physical Medicine with offices in Orlando, Hunters Creek, and Poinciana. Advanced Physical Medicine. If you are in pain, dial pound 250 on your mobile device and say, I'm in pain. And now, Jonathan Kahn opens up today's mystery from the Book of Mysteries. In the Book of Mysteries, the sun is setting over a garden in which sit the disciple and the teacher who opens up the mystery of Messiah's last day. Every Hebrew day begins at sundown the night before. So Messiah's last day began at sunset Thursday night. And that was the moment it all began. The Passover, the Last Supper, the Garden of Gethsemane, the trial, the crucifixion, the death, his body in the garden tomb. From sunset to sunset. Which day was it? It all happened on the sixth day. Why? Because the sixth day 
day is the day of man's creation. So the sixth day is the day of man's redemption. So as the sixth day in creation ended in a garden, so the sixth day in redemption ends in a garden tomb. And as man was given life on the sixth day, so we are now given life, new life on the sixth day, which is the day of Messiah. Begin a journey that will change your life. The Book of Mysteries, now available online and wherever books are sold. Or go to mysteriesbook.com. That's mysteriesbook.com. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Uh, Greg Kokel is here. He's in Los Angeles. And we're going to talk uh, about his book, The Story of Reality. Uh, Greg, the founder and president of Stand to Reason. Uh, Greg, wonderful to hook up with you. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, Pat, I'm looking forward to our chat. Thank you. Uh, by the way, uh, what is Stand to Reason? What is <laughs> what, fill, fill me in. Well, we're, we're an organization that uh, has a goal of training Christians to think more carefully about their convictions and then to be able to defend classical Christianity and classical Christian values um, with other people who take exception with them, but to do it in a, in a nice way. <laughs> so uh, so it looks more like diplomacy than D-Day. That's what we're about. There are six main segments of your new book, right? Uh, the Story of Reality. Let's start with uh, what is called the introduction and with a big word called reality. Yeah. And you get into topics like confusion and uh, obstacles and storyline. we we got to get started right there with that sure, introduction. Sure, sure. Well, reality is not such, in a certain sense, is a very straightforward concept. It's the way the world actually is. And my point when I'm starting out with confusion is that, you know, I travel a bit like you do, and uh, when I get on a plane, you know, I'm sitting next to somebody, they ask me what I do for a living, I tell them I'm a speaker and a writer and a, and a radio talk show host, and then they ask me what I do, what, what I talk about, and there I'm in a, a fix here, because now I want to tell them I write and I speak about um, Christianity in particular, and uh, ethics and, and the like, but I know what they're going to be thinking. They're going to be thinking, oh, that's nice, that's sweet, he's got a religion, good for him. Uh, what's in their mind is that religion is kind of a spiritual fantasy club. It's like everybody chooses their own flavor. What's true for you is not true for me, maybe true for somebody else, you know, that kind of thing. And that is not the way that I see my my spiritual enterprise, and certainly that isn't the way Jesus saw the world. That is, he didn't see um, his his project, his take on things, what he was bringing to the world is, is, as an interior thing, like your personal beliefs, your 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 convictions, your your even your relationship with God, although all those things are important. He saw it first from the outside. That is, what he's bringing is the truth about reality, and if it's not the truth about reality, then it doesn't make any difference at all. And uh, so this is what I'm trying to set off at the beginning. It's captured in the title of the book, The Story of Reality. But it's a, a point throughout the book that I keep wanting to emphasize, because frankly, um, even Christians get this wrong, Pat. Uh, they relativize their own convictions. They say, well, that's my personal view, you know, and kind of leave it at that. And that's my personal truth. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not, <laughs> listen, if it's, this isn't our, our make-believe-to-make-me-feel-happy kind of story, you know. We're not relativizing it. When you think about it, if our story is not accurate to reality, it's not any kind of truth at all. Um, so it can't be my truth or your truth. It may be my delusion or my mistake or my error, but it can never be my truth. And so as I start out there at the uh, front end of the book with my introduction, I'm trying to, to lay that foundation so people see at least the kind of account we're giving. We're not just telling our feelings, giving our beliefs, talking about our faith, quote-unquote, but rather talk about reality. And by the way, this um, this picture of reality that I'm trying to explain that Christianity is, is kind of like a puzzle. Um, but most of our Christian people have have their Christian puzzle in pieces. They've never put the whole thing together. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to take this this puzzle, so to speak, this that this puzzle made of pieces that forms a big picture of the way the world is. And I'm trying to assemble it in a way that, um, so people don't ever get lost in the details again. And, and, um, and there, there are, um, this is why I refer to it as a puzzle and also as a story, because taking, making a, a narrative out of it is a good way of characterizing it now, nowadays. And so I want to make sure that people, before I even start defending it, and there are a lot of, what I call soft apologetics that are built into this uh, 
into this story, into the book, um, kind of thoughtful reflections that are friendly appeals to common sense insights that we all have about the world. And they point to the truthfulness of Christianity. So I am making a case for it. But the biggest thing that I want people to see is I want them to get the whole picture. Because, Pat, I'm convinced that when both non-Christians and even Christians get the big picture, there is such a beauty and there is such a coherence to it that it, it has a power all its own. So when I, when I do this, I lay this story out with five basic points that represent all the rest of the parts of the book. And these five points are, are the high points of the Christian narrative, where they are the plot line of the story, if you will. They're really easy to remember, too. In fact, my, uh, my, when my nine-year-old was six years old, she sat in the front of the church when I did this teaching, and she's ticking them off on her hand um, as I'm reciting them. And here they are. So this is the plot line. This is the outline. This is the most important things that happen in the order they took place. Five words. Craig, the first one is part one of your book, and it's simply called God. Right. In the beginning. Uh, Fill us in on part one. Well, every story has a beginning, obviously, and ours start this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what there's a lot packed into just that one verse, but let me share a couple of thoughts that are really important. For one, this tells us about who the main character is. God is the main character, and I'm chuckling because most of us think that we're the main character, you know. We're the big character of our story, and everything serves us. No, 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 no. This isn't, this isn't the story of reality. The reality is uh, the world doesn't revolve around us, as our mothers used to tell us, Pat. The reality is the story is about God. It's about his purposes and what he wants to accomplish in the world, and it's about bringing him glory. So another way of looking at it is it's not so much about God's wonderful plan for our lives as it is about our lives for God's wonderful plan. It also shows that there's a theme to this story. It says that God creates the heavens and the earth. So you have a king who creates a domain. You have a king and a dom, so to speak. You have a kingdom. In other words, this story is about God and everything that he rightfully rules over, which is everything. He's, he made it, it's his kind of thing. And that includes you and I and the rest of the people listening. We belong to him. Our bodies are not our own. Our lives are not our own. Our world is not our own. We're not in charge. He is. Um, there's a couple other things, and one in particular that's really important is that this, this indicates the kind of world we live in. That is, we live in a world in which there is an in, the invisible things and visible things. God is an inverse, invisible person. Um, he makes a world that has a lot of visible things in it, all the physical things we see, okay? So this is a world in which invisible things and visible things are, are completely at home. So we have, we have atoms and, and planets and people and stuff like that, but we also have spirits. We also have values and morality, and, and we have uh, heaven and hell and all these things that don't fit into a physical characterization of the world. Now, this is important because there's some competing stories. Our story is the, isn't the only story out there that people have to consider as a possible characterization of reality. There's another story called, I call it matterism, but it's the materialistic story, the atheist story, which says that all that exists are the molecules. There's nothing more than what we physically see or feel, okay? That's one side. The other side is the Easter religion story, and that is there's nothing that exists ultimately but mind. Um, no matter, no people, no stuff. All the things we see are just part of the illusion. Maya, they call it. And these are big competitors uh, for our story. And so one thing that I try to say right from the outset is our story is very different from those other stories. And there are very good reasons to believe our story rather than those stories. That's the way I set the foundation with God, the first part of our story. And then our guest is Greg Kukul, and we're talking about his book, The Story of Reality. Part two, Greg, is called Man. Now, there's, there's two things that are really important to know about man. And by the way, these things everybody actually knows. I think one of the strengths of the Christian story, Pat, is most of the things that are central to the Christian story are things that people already know directly, or they, they, they are aware of if they think about it a little bit. 
And this is one of them, the two things about man. We know that man is beautiful, that is, he is unique in some very, very special way um, that makes him different from everything else and supremely valuable, and, and, and uh, that human beings have, have rights that are unique to human beings. Okay, and we have moral obligations to human beings that are not sustained towards animals, for example, or towards other things. Okay, well, we already know this is true. This is why we we gas termites, but not Jews, or we're not supposed to do that. And our story has a way of explaining that. Um, The story says that we are made like God. We are made in his image. Now, we're not little gods. We're creatures. You know, we're dependent. But we're not nothing either. We're not junk. We're not like everything else. We have surpassing value. And this sustains all of our rights and our moral obligations to each other. It shows why we are different from everything else and why, uh, and why we are, are unique um, in, in, in the world, okay? But there's something wrong. By the way, that's something everybody knows. That's why we tell our kids don't treat, treat each other like animals, you know, because we're not just animals, okay? But there's more to the story. We know that we're special, but we know something else. There's something wrong with us. In fact, everybody knows this. The world is broken. We know that. And we have a suspicion, if we're really honest, that the world is broken because something is broken in us. We look down inside of ourselves, and we see something broken, and that broken thing is moral. There's bad in all of us. We can debate whether we're fundamentally bad or we're fundamentally good, but we all know that we're at least partly bad. And so the story of reality explains why that's so. Man was made to be in friendship with God. And everything started out right. God made everything wonderful, just the way it's supposed to be. All that God made was good. But man betrayed the friendship. He rebelled against God. You know, Pat, when we tell our kids to do these things or not do other things, we give them guidelines to protect them. Because we know if they, if they disobey, they're going to break something, you know. And so uh, it might be a vase, it might be a tool, it might be a relationship, it might be a whole life. But when man disobeyed God, he broke something too. He broke the whole world. And this is why we have a problem of evil, because of man's rebellion. Now, now God could have just stepped right in and lowered the boom and judged man for rebellion, and just like he did the angels, and that was the end of it. But he didn't. Man was special. And so what, man, what God did is he initiated a rescue plan. He entered history. He entered that which he made in a human body, in a man named Jesus. That brings us to the next stage of our story. Yes, it does. Part three, Jesus, uh, the God-man. Right. Uh, fill us in. This is going to be well, good. Well, there are, there are two things that are really important to answer about Jesus, and that is, uh, and it, by the way, it has nothing to do with his basic tr- teachings. That is, if you're enamored with his teaching about the poor or other things, which are important, um, but, you, but you miss these other two things, well, then you miss everything. You miss Jesus entirely, because the gospel, uh, John the Apostle, writing his gospel, never mentioned a single thing about the poor in his entire gospel. It's because that isn't why Jesus came. So you got two things, who Jesus was, and why he came, who he was, and why he came. And the answer to the first in the story is very straightforward. He is fully God, who became fully man. That is, his divinity was never diminished, but he added humanity to it. Now, there's a reason for this, and that is uh, because there was a debt that had to be paid by man. Man was guilty. Man was the one who, who owed God, but... Only God could pay the debt that man had incurred. So if man was ever to be rescued, then, man, then God himself had to become a man to do what only the God-man could do. You see, this notion of God becoming a man is absolutely unique to Christianity, to our story. But, you, but, but a lot of people don't realize, well, what's the significance? It's the only way that man can be rescued. Okay? So the answer to the first question is who is Jesus? Well, he was fully God and fully man. He's the God-man, okay? Here's the second question. Well, why did he come? Wasn't to teach us about the poor and how to all get get along. Uh, I mean, God had already sent prophets to teach us about that stuff. He didn't have to become a man to do that. He, He did two things. He lived the life that we should have lived, the perfect life. And then he made a trade, our rotten lives 
for his. And that trade took place on an outcropping of rock outside the, ten- the walls of Jerusalem that the uh, locals called Golgotha, the place of the skull. We call it Calvary, the place of the cross. My guest, and he's a good one, boy, Greg Kokel is filling us in. His book is The Story of Reality. We've got more with Greg right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. This is Ed Rollins. President Donald Trump has nominated Neil Gorsuch for the Supreme Court, and we need millions of Americans to pick up the phone right now to deliver your voice directly to your senator. This is the most critical moment in modern history that will define the future of our country. Radical liberals like Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi have vowed to block President Trump's nomination by all means possible. We need millions of Americans to call 800-939-5885 to send your voice directly to your senator to demand the immediate confirmation of Judge Gorsuch to the Supreme Court. This could be the most important phone call you will ever make for the future of our country. Please call 800-939-5885 and put the pressure on the U.S. Senate to confirm President Trump's nominee. Again, call 800-939-5885. Please help pressure the Senate to confirm Neil Gorsuch and help Donald Trump make America great again. Call now. Paid for by Great America PAC, which is responsible for the content of this message. Not authorized by any candidate or candidates committee. GreatAmericaPAC.com. What's new at the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN, Addison's Walk, Saturday afternoons at 4. Welcome to Addison's Walk. This is Michael Phillips. I am the headmaster of Smith Prep, and I am the host of Addison's Walk. We are right now in the process of introducing the subject of what is the church. few questions that are as important as this one. It's going to be a lively discussion. I'm excited about it. All new Saturday afternoons at 4, Addison's Walk, only on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Addison's Walk is a minister of the Smith Prep Education Foundation. Think about your floors. Are they worn out, stained, or dated? Now think about new floors that are fresh, updated, and look great. Whether you like the feel or soft carpet between your toes or the gleam of freshly polished hardwood, now is the time to buy half-price flooring vouchers. For a limited time, we have vouchers to make that floor remodel easier. Don't wait. Go to AmazingRadioDeals.com slash half-price flooring. That's AmazingRadioDeals.com slash half-price flooring. Plus, vouchers are a great way to use your tax refund. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Greg Kokel is with us from Los Angeles. The book is called The Story of Reality. Greg, we've covered the introduction, reality. We've covered part one, God, part two, man, part three, Jesus. Uh, Now in this uh, final segment, uh, I want you to talk about part four, the cross. Right. Yeah, this is an area that is central to Christianity, and of course it's talked about a lot, Pat. But I think it's not understood, uh, even by Christians. And one of the hopes of this book, The Story of Reality, which they can get, by the way, at the website by the same name, thestoryofreality.com. Um, one thing I wanted them to understand is why the cross is so important. And um, the reason it's so important is because this is the place where the trade took place. We all know that Jesus died on a cross and he suffered for our sins. I mean, this is a true statement, but it's turned into a religious slogan, so much so that when Christians say it, it almost just goes over their own head, okay? When Jesus was on the cross, he experienced tremendous suffering at the hands of men. But this is not the real, the real crux of the matter, if you pardon the pun. The crux of the matter is what happened for those three hours when darkness shrouded the cross, when this trade that I mentioned in the last segment took place. Jesus took all of the crimes that we had committed and every wrong that we had done, and he, and he placed it on himself so that to the Father, it was Jesus that was the one that was guilty for everything. And in those three dark hours... God poured out his anger on the Son of Man as, as if he was guilty of a, of a terrible crime. And the crime that he was being held guilty for were our crimes. And in those three hours, he paid to the last drop, such that when he was done, and he says, it is finished, he's not saying, wow, I'm glad that's over with. 
It was a very particular word he used there in Greek. It was tetelestai in the translation. The Greek word is tetelestai. And that was a word that was stamped onto certificates of death that people owed in the ancient world, and it showed that it was completely paid, and so people could never be charged for those crimes again. Jesus was saying that his payment paid our debt, and this is the transaction. This is the trade. Jesus took all of our ugliness, all of our brokenness, all of our sin and crime, and the punishment for it, so that we are able to take the goodness of Jesus into our accounts, as it were. God doesn't see us as rebels anymore when we're in Christ. God rather sees us as Jesus is, perfect and holy. That's the trade. Uh, the the, the uh, Reformers called it the marvelous exchange. Uh, Paul says it very clearly in 2 Corinthians 5.21, where he, sa- he states, He, the Father, made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And as a result then, Pat, when we come into this renewed now friendship with God, this relationship with God through Jesus, um, God's not angry at us anymore. He's already spent his anger on Jesus. And this is the solution to one of the most uh, um, curious or unusual or even offensive elements of Christianity to the rest of the world, who are really bothered by the fact that we claim Jesus is the only way of salvation. I understand it. I get it why that would bother them. Sounds so narrow. It is narrow. Some problems have narrow solutions. We know that in a lot of details in life. This is one of them. Jesus is the only way of salvation because he is the only one who solved the problem. The problem is sin and rebellion and guilt that we have, and Jesus solves the problem. And by the way, if Jesus didn't take our sins, then we would have to take them ourselves. We would have to pay for our own crimes against God, and that would take forever. Jesus is the solution to the problem of evil. Our story has the problem of evil. Our whole story is about it. But our story is not over yet. God is resolving it. And he resolves it first by dealing with the cause, which is man who broke the world and broke himself. And Jesus pays the penalty to repair man, and then he'll eventually repair the world. God, man, Jesus. Cross. And what Jesus did on the cross uh, determines what happens in the next step, the final resurrection. But one last step before I get there, and that is in order to benefit from what Jesus did. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. It's not for sale. It's a gift. It can only be received with a humble act of bending the knee and trusting Jesus for it. And this is what the story calls faith. Craig Kokel is our guest. The book is called The Story of Reality. Uh, Greg, we've come to part five and it's called Resurrection. Right. Tell- Here I have uh, in mind the end, the final resurrection to reward and punishment. So we have the beginning God and, and the ending resurrection, and uh, which fulfills the subtitle of the book, um, How the World Began, How It Ends, and Everything Important That Happens in Between. And in, in, in Resurrection, um, and I talk a little bit about the resurrection of Jesus himself from the grave right after the three days after the crucifixion, as securing the final resurrection for those who have faith in him. But um, there's good news and bad news in a certain sense. This is the most popular part of the story, but it's also the most unpopular. Uh, there's one, here's one way of putting it. The good news is, is that everybody lives forever. Wow, that's great. Really? No kidding. Yep, that's right. What's the bad news? Well, everybody lives forever. That's the bad news, too, because the story doesn't end. They all lived happily ever ever after. At the end of the age, one of two things is going to happen. Um, I, I, I like the way a friend of mine put it once. He said, either perfect justice or perfect mercy. Perfect justice is punishment for everything we've ever done wrong, and God misses nothing. Or perfect mercy which is, which is uh, forgiveness for everything we've ever done wrong, and God misses nothing. It, only de- it depends on what, how we've responded to God's offer of mercy through Jesus, his rescuer. 
And this is meant to underscore a couple of things. There is a place where justice is finally done. And for those of us who yearn for justice and hate to see bad guys get away scot-free, murderers and rapists and all that, how could God let them get away? He's not going to let them get away with it. Everybody's going to pay their due, but it's not just the, those bad guys. It's us bad guys, too. We're in the dock with everybody else. And uh, the, for those not covered by God's rescuer, whose debt wasn't paid for the rescuer, they're on their own. And they're going to have to pay, as I said, themselves. There's this terrible scene at the very end where the where the, the books are opened. And I call them the books of death because they're all the list of all the crimes and deeds that we've ever done. And we're going to be judged by those to show that God judges fairly. We're guilty. But there's also another book. It's called the Book of Life. And everyone who's put their trust in God's rescuer, God's Messiah, is written there in the Book of Life. And as Jesus said towards the end of his own life, he said, at that judgment, there's going to be the sheep and the goats, and the goats are going to be cast off, you know, into eternal destruction. And that is not going to be a pretty picture. God doesn't want that, obviously. He wants the other. He wants the sheep to enter into the joy of the Lord. And so for those who are his, the goats, they are going to get their due. For those who are the sheep, Jesus got their due. Jesus paid, and they will go into the kind of world, Pat, Think about it, the kind of world that our hearts have always yearned for. Mm. A world of incandescent happiness, fulfillment and satisfaction beyond our wildest dreams. But the most satisfying thing that we'll have is un, unhindered fellowship with the greatest being of the universe, friendship with God. And, uh, and, 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 and enjoying him forever. And that will be the greatest thing anyone could ever imagine. Greg Kukul has been our guest, founder and president of Stand to Reason, and author of The Story of Reality. Greg, we've had a wonderful half hour. I'm so grateful that we could spend time <laughs> together. And con- congratulations on this marvelous and important book. And well, I'm- thank you. I, I really enjoyed it. It was a bit of a sprint. But uh, just another reminder, people can get the book at thestoryofreality.com. And there's a lot of other things. There's a video there. They can take, and there's some, there's some bonus material there as well. And, and I sure have enjoyed my time talking with you, Pat. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about the story of reality. Thanks, Greg. Uh, we've got a wrap-up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Thinking about life insurance? What if you could make one free phone call and learn your best price from nearly a dozen highly rated price competitive companies? Well, that's exactly what happens when you call Select Quote Life. For example, George is 40. He was getting sky-high quotes from other companies because he takes meds to control his blood pressure. But when I shopped around, I found him a 10-year, $500,000 policy for under $28 a month. I'm SelectQuote agent Dan Savino. And believe me, if SelectQuote isn't shopping for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much. For your free quote, call 1-800-494-2323. That's 1-800-494-2323. 1-800-494-2323. Or go to selectquote.com. Since 1985, we shop, you save. Get full details on the example policy at selectquote.com slash commercials. Your price can vary depending on your health, issuing company, and other factors. Not available in all states. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Well, folks, thanks for joining us here on the Power Hour. We uh, always are delighted when you plug in on the weekend. Esther Fleece, our guest in the first half hour, No More Faking Fine was the name of her book. And then Greg Kokel plugged in from Los Angeles and we had a nice discussion about his book, The Story of Reality. Uh, please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com. The Twitter page, Orlando Magic Pat. And uh, my latest book is out. It's called The Success Intersection. It's in bookstores now. It's about when your greatest talent intersects with your greatest passion 
uh, well, you found your sweet spot in life. Uh, Amazon, always a wonderful way to order books. Well, have a great day tomorrow in church with your family and a terrific week ahead in this beautiful Florida weather. And I'll be back next weekend for more on the Saturday Power Hour right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at the same time where faith comes by hearing. 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.